March 25th marks the 100th anniversary of the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire in downtown Manhattan. The fire started in a scrap bin on the eighth floor of the factory building, claiming the lives of 146 garment workers. The tragedy led to changes in workplace labor and fire safety laws. And coincidentally, the centennial comes at a time of labor union struggles across the country. Good morning. I'm George Bodarki, and this is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. This morning, we're looking back on the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire, the deadliest industrial disaster in New York City history. We'll talk with relatives of survivors and hear from the creators of From the Fire, an original oratorio produced for the centennial of the factory fire. Here's a snippet of a song from the production listing the names of the 146 victims. First this morning, we welcome to Cityscape Marianne Trashotti, a professor at Hofstra University and a member of the Remember the Triangle Fire Coalition. Marianne, good morning. Good morning. Now, you are the head of the Memorial Committee for the coalition, right? Yes, actually, I'm chairing the Memorial Committee for the Remember the Triangle Fire Coalition. That's an initiative that is just beginning um, to take off, so we're really excited about it. So the goal is to create a permanent memorial to this tragedy? Yeah, the commemorations of the fire uh, have been happening um, on the anniversary, March 25th, every year. Workers United, which is the current instantiation of the old International Ladies Garment Workers Union, uh, has done a wonderful job of remembering and recognizing the people, most of them women, who perished in the fire with a a very poignant ceremony every year. And and that is a memorial. It's a a live memorial, but it's a fleeting uh, memorial. Um, There's also a chalk project that was founded by Ruth Sergal, the founder of the Triangle Coalition. And again, that's, that's a memorial. We chalk the names of the victims of the fire in front of where they lived, and yet it goes away after the first rainstorm. So what we'd like to do is to have something that is there to remind people um, always about what happened and what that means. Where was the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory located exactly in Manhattan? The original building is still there. The building was fireproof, and it is just off Washington Square Park. Um, It's called the Brown Building. Um, It was at the time of the fire, uh, the Ash Building. I don't remember the exact address, but it's just off the park, and uh, it's part of New York University right now. Is there anything there to commemorate the lives lost in this fire? There's a small plaque that says uh, on this site, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, Um, but the plaque doesn't indicate that it was actual the actual building in which the fire occurred and it's rather small and nondescript so you could walk right past it and not know that this very important moment in New York history happened. How many people were killed in the fire? 146. And you uh, said most of them were women. Most of them were women, young women, uh, teenagers, some of them, uh, women in their 40s as well, 30s, 20s, but uh, many of them very young. It's heartbreaking to look at the list of names uh, to see how lives were cut so short. Largely immigrant women? Yeah, mostly Italian and Jewish immigrant women, many recent immigrants, mostly recent immigrants. So these were people whose American experience was very new and uh, not very pleasant. And they were factory workers, right? They were making garments there. Yes, shirtwaists, the the kind of top blouses that you, you know, that, that you might recall seeing in historic photographs. 
They they did. And and it's important to note that this wasn't um, a sweatshop in the kind of classic evil sense of the term. The, the problem at Triangle wasn't that the girls were poorly paid. It was that the owners of the factory were more concerned with keeping down theft and keeping out union organizers than they were about safety. And that's the problem. So then what happened that caused such a tragedy? Why couldn't these women get out of the building when the fire erupted? Well, when the fire broke out, it spread uh, very quickly because there are scraps of flammable materials all over the floors of a garment factory. And the problem was that the doors were locked and the staircases had been narrowed. And the reason that these uh, measures were implemented was to be able to very easily observe the girls and search the girls if necessary when they were leaving to make sure they hadn't stolen anything. Um, And also, again, to keep union organizers out. If the doors are locked, uh, union organizers can't come in and talk to people about solidarity and and, um, joining together. And so when the fire broke out, it, it was a horrible scene. Um, because the the minimal access to the outside uh, collapsed and the doors that would have allowed the girls out were barred shut. How tall was this building? Ten floors, and the factory was on the 8th, ninth, and 10th floor. How come the fire department couldn't get to them with ladders? The ladders weren't tall enough. There was chaos on the ground. And it was difficult to maneuver the machinery into place, but they did do a, you know, a stellar job. But when they raised the ladders, they just didn't go high enough. Um, and one of the things that happened as a result of Triangle was that the height of ladders uh, for uh, firefighters was raised so that they could actually reach parts of the buildings where these tragedies might occur. So they brought out nets, and the girls jumped, and um, to the horror of people on the ground, fell through the nets. Did buildings back then at all have sprinklers? Uh, Most of the safety measures that you and I take for granted today were enacted as a result of the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire. In fact, um, the American Society for Safety Engineers was founded uh, as a result of the Triangle Fire. So that organization, as well as the fire, celebrates its centennial or marks its centennial this year. I noticed when I walked into the building for the station that there's a standpipe outside, and there's a sign that locates that for firefighters in the event of a, of a fire here. Standpipes um, on this and other buildings are there because of the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire. So you are safe in this building because of what happened. So these people did not die in vain. No, they died unnecessarily, but they didn't die in vain. As a result of the fire, too, the Garment Workers Union and the movement generally was spurred to action. Um, It said that the New Deal started with the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire because Frances Perkins was so moved by what she saw that day. Um, So it wasn't in vain. Do you know if anyone was pulled alive from the building? Yeah, there were people who were pulled alive. There's also a a very heroic story. Uh, Joey Zito was the elevator operator. He was able to get to safety himself but couldn't bear to see um, the uh, workers trapped in the building and made repeated trips up and down in the elevator to bring uh, workers to safety um, until it just was impossible to do that. And there were also women who helped other women uh, to safety. There's the story of one woman who carried um, another woman over her head to get her out of the building. Um, So, yeah, people acted very heroically. But it is essentially a story about greed and disregard for human life. And yet it is also a story about um, the power of people to kind of bond together and make something out of uh, the ashes of a, a, a terrible event. Who were the owners of the Triangle Waste Factory? Isaac Harrison and Max Blank.
Were they well-known New Yorkers? They certainly were after the fire. They were not convicted. To implement the safety measures in the building was deemed more expensive than to pay the insurance in the event of a fire or some other kind of tragedy. So they hedged their bets financially, um, gambled on people's lives essentially, and um, were successful. The the Triangle Factory was one of the most significant factories where workers did not unionize after the garment strike, the uprising of the 20,000 in 1909. And that was uh, Isaac Harris and Max Blank refusing to permit unions. Um, So they were infamous uh, after the fire. So they were never held criminally accountable, but they did lose a civil suit, didn't they? They did. They did, yes. This tragedy, of course, is deep in our history now here in America, but are similar tragedies still playing out in other countries with less stringent regulations? There was a fire recently in Bangladesh that is sadly uh, reminiscent of the Triangle Fire, absolutely. We don't do as much manufacturing in the United States anymore. I, I won't say that it's disappeared uh, because that I have learned being part of the coalition that, in fact, it hasn't. We still do manufacture uh, clothing in New York City. But the things that used to happen here, yes, happen uh, still, unfortunately. And they shouldn't happen anywhere, ever. Is the Remember the Triangle Fire Coalition online? Yes, we are. Please do uh, come to the website, www.rememberthetrianglefire.org. We we welcome you to come check out the calendar. We will be publishing um, a brochure, really a newspaper reminiscent of the old style, um, early 20th century uh, newspapers that used to be hawked on the streets. But please come and check out our events. So, yes, please do visit the website. Marianne, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Marianne Trashotti is a professor at Hofstra University and a member of the Remember the Triangle Fire Coalition. This is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. I'm George Bodarki. Today, we're looking back at the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire. The blaze took the lives of 146 garment workers in the deadliest industrial disaster in New York City history. March 25th marks the 100th year anniversary of the tragedy. Our next guest has a personal connection to the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire. Suzanne Predbass, tell us how you're affiliated with the fire. Well, uh... You know, my two great aunts were in the working at the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory during the time of the fire, and uh, my uh, great aunt Katie Weiner survived, and her sister Rosie Weiner died in the fire. Is this something Katie talked about a lot? Well, I was a little girl growing up around this. Katie was certainly looked upon as a kind of a heroic figure in my family. She was one of the last people off the ninth floor. She grabbed hold of the, jumped onto the cable of the elevator, uh, the last one going down, and that's how she got out. So I had heard that story a lot. When I was in my 20s, I talked to her about it, but it wasn't something that was talked about at, at great length. I think this was a difficult discussion for my family. It was a very painful topic. Do you have photographs of your aunts? I have a photograph of Rosie, yes. And what do you think of when you look at that photograph? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's a question everybody asks. Well, you know, the touch of a smile on her face. I, I, I see different things every time I look at it. But, you know, this was a young, a young soul just starting out in her life. And there is this kind of tentative, curious, 
hopeful look in her face, and uh, you know she's wearing one of these big hats that they you see in the uh, uprising of the twenty thousand. If you look at the photos of those women, uh, which happened uh, the year before the fire, and she's wearing one of those big hats. She looks proud. She looks someone you know about to taste the adventures and joys of living. Were your aunts born in the U.S. or did they come no, to the U.S.? They came to the U.S. So they were hoping to live the American dream. They were hoping to live the American dream. Now, as far as Katie is concerned, your aunt who survived the fire, did she go on to live a happy life as far as she you saw? wonderful spirit. My mother adored her. We all adored her. She was lively. Uh, she married a union president. But if I think about the complexity of it, I know everybody in that generation carried a very deep sorrow from that event. How important is it for you, Suzanne, now as we mark the 100th anniversary of this fire to talk about it, to talk about your aunts? Well, you know, for me, it's, uh, it's so important that they are not forgotten, that people think about them, care about them, and realize that they didn't die in vain. That's tremendously important to me. That was Suzanne Pred-Bass. Her great-aunt was the last known person to escape the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire. It wasn't until I was on the phone with her that I learned an interesting fact about our next guest. Eileen Nevitt's grandmother saved the life of Suzanne Pred-Bass's great-aunt, Katie. My paternal grandmother, Annie Sprensock, was a survivor of the fire. What stories did she tell you about that day? Unfortunately... I did never knew my grandmother. None of the grandchildren knew our grandmother because mm. she died at age 34 in 1929. Really? Could I ask what she died of? She died of probably what was postpartum depression. It was not known as postpartum depression back then. It was called melancholia. So she died in a, at Kings County Hospital from what was described on our death certificate as mental exhaustion. Mm. How old was she when she was working, and I assume she was working at the Triangle, correct? She was working at the Triangle. She was 17 years old. She immigrated to this country, from what I understand, when she was 10 years old, from Russia, a Jewish-Russian immigrant. And then who passed on the story to you? Well, the discovery of the story is very interesting, in fact. My father was the oldest of five children, and my father told my brother and I that my grandmother was in the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire. But growing up, we knew it was a big deal, but we didn't really know the details. But most of my other relatives did not know about my grandmother's involvement at all in the fire. So in about 2008, playing on the computer... I Googled my grandmother, Annie Sprinsock, and we actually got some hits on Annie. And where it led me to was the Cornell University Keel Center Triangle Fire Archive. My cousin Stephen, then about six months later, having heard the story, he never knew that Annie was in the fire at all, nor did his father, who is my uncle and still alive. And um, Stephen dug a little deeper and uncovered the original source of information at the archive about my grandmother, which was a New York Times article written two days after the fire. 
And what he discovered was that she actually saved someone's life. Is that right? That is true. And it was an absolutely mind-blowing, amazing story for my family to have. You must understand, after my grandmother's death, the family was split up. The two oldest children stayed with family, but the three youngest ones were put into orphanages. And they never had any story. So my, my aunt, my Aunt Beverly, who is alive today and a New Yorker, never knew any stories about her mother, never heard her mother's voice because she was only one year old when her mother died. And so having this story from the New York Times gave voice to my grandmother. It was as if my grandmother were telling the story of her escape directly to the audience. What did your grandmother do to save that life? Well, it's interesting. There's a bit of um, discrepancy between the New York Times article and probably what's a more accurate description of the event in the Brooklyn Eagle. And in the Brooklyn Eagle, it says that my grandmother worked on the ninth floor. The fire started on the eighth floor. And the girls on the ninth floor were really unaware that there was this fire starting on the eighth floor until it really was an inferno. My grandmother worked as a sewing machine operator on the ninth floor. When the fire broke out, she was in the dressing room area, and she went to the elevator. She was fairly near to the elevator. But she realized that she had forgotten her purse with her week's wages. So she went back to the dressing room. It was already gone. So she came back to the elevator to what would have been the last elevator down from the ninth floor. And one of her friends called out to her to, to grab her. So my grandmother grabbed her friend, got into the elevator, but there was no room on the elevator for her friend. There was no floor space. It was completely packed. So my grandmother held this girl above her head for the entire ride down. And when they got to the bottom and they got out of the building, they parted ways. She actually saved 16-year-old Katie Weiner. And Katie Weiner is the last documented worker out of, the, out of the building. And it was her testimony that was quite critical during the trial later on. Katie's sister, Rosie, died in the fire. But Katie survived. Eileen, thank you so much for your time. You're most welcome. Thank you, George. Eileen Nevitt's grandmother survived the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire. One way the centennial of Triangle is being commemorated is through music and poetry. An oratorio called From the Fire features songs and performances about the tragic events surrounding the blaze. We have with us now Cecilia Rubino, the creator and director of the project, and Paula Finn, poet and co-writer. Cecilia, let's start with you. What prompted you to put this work together? Paula, many, many years ago, um, had given me a book of poems that were about Triangle. At the time, I was writing a short story um, for kids and then long forgot about the project and um, held on to Paula's book of poems for an inordinate length of time. Then a number of years ago, I collaborated with the amazing composer Elizabeth Suedos on a piece uh, about Clifford Odette's. And we didn't work closely together, but she'd given me some music that I used. And a few years after that, I heard a number of my NYU students in a production of hers um, 
it was a piece called Missionaries, and it was redone in a church uh, in Midtown. Uh, the piece is astonishing. It's, a, it's, a, it's an oratorio which celebrates the lives of these four nuns uh, that were killed in El Salvador in the 70s. And it just struck me that she had a, 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 an incredible ability to both honor and memorialize, but also celebrate life. And uh, somehow the convergence happened in my mind. And I emailed her three or four years ago saying, I think, Liz, you should write something for the 100th anniversary of Triangle. And she wrote me back a hasty email saying, um, I'll do it if you can get me funding a script and the promise that it'll be done right, and none of which I could do at the time. <laughs> um, and so I, in our freelance life, uh, left the project behind. And then there was a convergence last fall where I was in dialogue with Paula, and Paula said there were events happening, but no one was doing something new. I met Ruth Sergal, who was the head of this wonderful uh, Remember the Triangle Shirtwaist Coalition, mm-hmm. and she was trying to foment many, many arts activities for the week of the centennial, and then met uh, Bonnie Roach Bronfman, who also was very excited about the idea of the project. So for the, uh, that's when I approached Liz, and for the 99th anniversary, we very hastily pulled together some material, just historic material. So Rose Schneiderman's speech after the fire, Morris Rosenfeld's response to the fire, and a very short snippet of Pinsky's wonderful poem called Shirt. And uh, we were very fortunate to participate in the 99th anniversary, and then um, it became readily clear uh, that um, a script needed to be written. And Paula was gracious enough to come and sit with me and allow me to pick her brain um, over uh, a series of meetings. And then during the summer, we went our separate ways, and I researched um, at length, and she wrote poems, and we're still um, wrestling out our final uh, text, uh, but it's been quite a journey. Paula, talk to me about your interest in this topic, the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire. I come at this from two angles. I've had uh, more than two decades with the labor movement. I started out as a really uh, young person coming into the Amalgamated Clothing and Textile Workers Union, uh, and that's not the union that sprang directly from the fire that was the International Lady Garment Workers Union, but we were a sister union and felt very much also connected to the industry, to the development of these unions. The workers were very similar, uh, and so I had a, a deep interest in this particular history for quite a long time. And then the other angle at which I approach this is uh, as a poet. So I've simultaneously been writing poetry for all these years. So this has been an, an, an especially uh, significant period for me to be able to kind of bring those two aspects of my life and work together. Uh, so I was very happy when Cecilia approached me about going ahead and doing this. What was that writing process like for you? Mm. You know, it's hard to write about a tragedy like this one and not overwrite it. There is so much right there on the plate, and so you want to get to it in ways that are human and subtle and multifaceted. I felt that we needed, I needed some 
poems that would say something about who these young women were, mostly women. I needed to say something about their courage, about them not merely as victims. They had organized a massive strike called the uh, the the uprising of the 20,000 a year and a half before. I felt it was important to say something about that. And then I felt it was important to say something about the way that this fire affected the whole city and in some ways the nation. You have a poem out right there before you. Can you share that with us? This one called Black Umbrellas is about this enormous funeral march that took place uh, shortly after the fire. Black Umbrellas. The skies of Manhattan wept that day as hundreds of thousands lined the streets. The procession, like a river, wound its way through banks of black umbrellas, touching each to each. On stoops, bareheaded women held their babies high while people leaned from windows, waving handkerchiefs. Silence interrupted by a moaning cry followed like a wave along the funeral march as the empty hearses heaped with flowers passed. The city bore those bodies turned to ash and stood with mud around its feet. Cecilia, while the words are no doubt enormously powerful in this project, so too is the music. What can you tell us about the music in this project? Liz Suedos is nothing short of extraordinary. Um, she's taken both the words of Paula's poems and the words of my text and written this choral music. It just cuts through, and it, 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 it both, again, is celebratory, but also, I think, really honors... Um, the story. The back, the yoke, the yardage lap seas, the nearly invisible stitches along the collar, turned in a sweatshop by Koreans or Malaysians, gossiping over tea and noodles on the break. It's not a Broadway musical, it's not a classic opera, but it tells a story and it uses this conduit of, of this astonishing uh, sound. So it's really such a privilege every day to be listening to it in rehearsal. The ringer, the bangle, the needle, the union, the treadle, the bobbin, the code. The infamous place at the tribal factory in 1911. 146 Do you hope the audience takes away from this when they come to see it? I hope that, it, that both people who are familiar with the story and also those who know nothing about it um, will have a moment to meditate and to think and to celebrate what happened a um, hundred years ago, but thinking forward um, as well, not to be uh, complacent. Um, every generation needs to learn and relearn something uh, about um, justice and, and fairness. And um, we have a lot of work 
moving forward. So it's a, it's a moment to, to do that, I hope. Paula, are you hoping for a similar takeaway? I certainly think that people will walk out of this having a sense of the tragedy, but also a real sense of who these people were and what they were able to accomplish before and through the protest that came afterwards. Francis Perkins, Perkins Gilman was uh, right there, day of the fire, outside uh, watching the bodies fall. She became FDR's Secretary of Labor and later said that the New Deal began on the day of the fire. And in so many ways, that's true. And the run begins when? Wednesday, March 23rd, and we run all the way through uh, Sunday, March 27th. The performances are at 7.30 in the evening, Wednesday through Saturday, and at 6 o'clock on Sunday the 27th. And is there a website people can go for tickets? There is. Um, Trianglefromthefire.com is the website, and the New School Box Office is selling tickets. They're $5 for students and $15 for adults. Cecilia, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. Paula, thank you. Thank you. That was Cecilia Rubino and Paula Finn talking about From the Fire, their oratorio commemorating the 100th anniversary of the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. Don't forget, you can visit WFUV.org slash Cityscape to get past editions of the show. Find us on Facebook and Twitter for all your latest Cityscape news. We're listed on both as WFUV's Cityscape. I'm George Boldarki. My thanks to senior producer Andrea McCrary and producer Morlane Chin. Have a great weekend. Oh,